0: Emily. Emily, darling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> oh, you're very
1: good. Emily. Emily. Look at Daddy. Daddy? Yes. <coughs>
0: what is it? Gently. <coughs> what? <coughs> Emily. Daddy. Emily. <coughs> Boo. <coughs> Boo. My daughter Emily was born on a snowy February day in London it was 1994 and I was 26 years old I couldn't have been less prepared friends laughed at me when I told them I was about to become a dad in the moments after Emily was born the nurse passed her to me to hold for the first time she was wrapped into a bundle with a white towel her head lay on the palm of my hand her feet rested at my elbow the entire length of her fitted on my arm. She had her eyes wide open and she was very alert, like she was checking out her new surroundings. I looked at her and she looked back at me and we just stared at each other for a long time. I didn't have some big moment of clarity about becoming a father, but I looked at this beautiful little baby i had played a part in creating and just thought, this is gonna be okay. As long as I love her and keep her warm and safe, it's gonna be okay.
1: Ambulance emergency, what's the address of the emergency, please? Yes, please, yes, please. Uh, my name is Mrs Turner. My uh, son's friend is staying with us. I tried to to wake both of them up, but the girl didn't wake up. When you say you can't wake her up, what, is she breathing? Uh, no, not that we could, I, I don't know.
0: On May the 7th, 2011, I woke up at 2 a.m. I saw a missed call from my mother and a text asked me to call her back. I got out of bed and dialed her number in England.
1: Is she conscious and breathing? Um... If you call her name or, or, no, or just shake to her arm, does, she, does, she, does, she, does it rouse her? No, no. Right, now, is she breathing? No, I don't think she so. is. Right, how old is she? She's um, 17. 17?
0: Yeah. When I saw that 2 a.m. call from my mother, I didn't think much about it. We'd moved from London to New Zealand when Emily was 10 years old. Then at 17, Emily had decided she wanted to go back to England to study business at a place called Brockenhurst College.
1: What color is she? She's blue, is she, is she red? You see that, my husband is having a look now, hang on. Does it look like she's choked on anything? No, she's cold. She's cold? She's cold? Yeah. She's got anything around her neck?
0: She'd been living with her grandparents, my parents, in Bournemouth. If she ever broke her curfew, my mother would get in touch to let me know.
1: So does it look like she's choked Hello? on anything? She's got a makeup on. Shall I wipe her makeup No, 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 listen to me. Does it look like she's choked on anything?
0: I dialed their number, and my father answered. And then he put a policeman on the line.
1: Is your son there, is he? Uh, the ambulance is here. So somebody needs to open the door. Your son? Can you chat to your son? Sorry, can you is it your son there? Can he
0: go and open the front door? I don't remember exactly what the policeman said, but he told me there was a body. And the body had been identified as Emily.
2: A Kiwi teenager has been found dead in the south of England just 2 days after posting on Facebook that she'd been bothered by a stalker. 17-year-old Emily Longley, who grew up on Auckland's North Shore, was found by police in a house in Bournemouth on Saturday.
0: I'd seen her only a week earlier. She'd come back to New Zealand for the Easter break. She'd been full of life. We'd walked on Takapuna Beach together and talked about her course, her job at Topshop, and her life in the UK. She seemed happy. We talked about her coming back later that year for the Rugby World Cup.
2: It's not yet known what caused her death, a 19 year old man is helping police with their inquiries.
0: My name is Mark Longley. My daughter Emily was murdered in 2011 when she was 17 years old. It's sometimes said that time heals all wounds. That's crap. Death sucks, and we need to acknowledge that. This is a podcast about grief. It's about death and its impact on us how we mourn, how we cope, how we treat grieving people. I've spoken to people who have lost parents and partners, grandparents and children. I've talked to friends, colleagues, and academics. I want to figure out why grief is so hard to process. Why are we so awkward around those who are in pain? And what can we do to help people get through it? We need to talk more about death and grief because until we recognize it is part of life, we will never learn to live with it.
1: At the house where Longley was found dead on Saturday, flowers have been left. It's been three days since her body was discovered at this house in Bournemouth, south-west England. British newspapers say this is the home of her ex-boyfriend Elliot Turner and he called the ambulance after finding her lifeless body on Saturday morning.
0: The news spread quickly that Emily had died. First on Facebook and then in the media. People were getting in touch asking me what had happened. I didn't know much. I just wanted to get back to England.
1: It's understood Emily's ex-boyfriend and another 17-year-old boy that she also knew were arrested, but they've been released on bail without charge. Her ex-boyfriend was seen by neighbours sitting in an ambulance with his head in his hands.
0: The next day I was driving to the airport when I first heard it on a radio bulletin. I stopped for petrol halfway between Whakatane and Auckland and I saw a newspaper stand full of copies of the Herald. Emily's face took up the whole front page. As I walked across the forecourt, I thought I was going to throw up. I got to the airport and as I waited to board, I saw people throwing copies of the paper and my daughter's face into the bin. I wanted to shout out, don't throw it away, it's my daughter.
1: The parents of a 17-year-old Auckland girl who was found dead in a house in Bournemouth have flown to the UK to seek answers about her death.
0: When I arrived in England a day later, I drove straight from the airport to the morgue. I was met by the same policeman... I'd early talked to on the phone. He took me into a room that had a window into another room that was dark. He told me that the light in the other room was going to come on slowly. In there would be a bed, and on that bed would be Emily. As the light came on, I convinced myself that it wouldn't be her, that I would look through the window and see someone else. I looked through the window into the room. I could see the bed, neatly made with a white sheet and purple blanket. And there was Emily, her blonde hair ruffled against the pillow. She looked like she was asleep, like I'd seen her a thousand times before. It was like a school morning where she'd slept in. I remember thinking that I would walk up to her and shake her and she would sit up and say boo and we would laugh at this big joke she'd played on me. I walked over to her and touched her face. Her skin was soft like it had always been, but it was cold. Like no cold i had ever felt. And in that moment, I understood. Emily was dead.
3: He was a lot of fun. Growing up as a child, I remember him being very present, very involved in our school lives,
0: and our sporting lives. Sophie Hill grew up in Auckland's Kohi Marama with her mum Jane, dad Dean and brother Ollie.
3: You know, bike riding, all the kind of the dad stuff. Yeah, so I guess I'd say he was a really, a really fun and, and present dad as a, as a kid. I think fathers and daughters have a a special relationship just like fathers and sons do and you know but I think um I was definitely I don't really like using the term daddy's girl but I was a daddy's girl you know
0: Sophie has this story about how her parents got together they met and were drawn to each other immediately six weeks later they were living together six weeks after that they were married Sophie was 19 years old and starting her second year at university when her father died suddenly
3: and then the phone rang and um, it was my brother. And I didn't really, even though it was late, it must have been about 10 or 10.30 at night, I didn't really think much of it. I just thought it was odd because I hadn't been programmed to to worry about these things yet. Yeah. I just remember him saying hi, and I was like, oh, hi, Al, how you know? What, how are you? And he said, oh, something, something really terrible has happened today. And mm. I said, what? And he said, um, Dad died today. And... <laughs> I don't really remember the moments after he said those words but then a, a few moments later I I said how hmm. and he said he he's he killed himself it didn't cry didn't just couldn't there was just nothing I just couldn't I was just an absolute shock
0: Sophie had been on holiday in Whanganui when she heard the news she flew back up to Auckland the next day where family friends collected her from the airport, and drove her back to the family home.
3: I remember, I remember pulling up outside the house and just not wanting to go in. Mm. I just didn't, didn't. It, that would make it real. I didn't want to be consoled by my family. I didn't want. I didn't feel ready to console them back. I didn't. I just knew that the second that I walked through that door my family was going to be different and that I'd be surrounded by grief. And Mm. I just, I, I just wasn't, it took me some time to get, to get in to get into
0: the house. After her father's death, friends and family arrived to help. Cooking, cleaning, driving her family around. The house was busy. It felt like a welcome distraction.
3: There was so much kind of hustle and bustle immediately after. Yeah. And in and between the funeral and, and just after the funeral that it felt like my emotions and my grief were diluted by everything yeah. that was happening, <clears throat> yeah. which I kind of liked at the time. I mm. remember being fearful of when all that was going to go away yeah. and it was just the three of us left in the house.
0: She says she felt a kind of disbelief that the world was still turning. Life was continuing, even though her life had been changed forever.
3: I remember that very early on actually. We, we lived on a busy road and um, I remember coming when I when I first, in the days after my dad died and mm. it was beautiful weather and I remember thinking he'd love to be out there running, mm. you know, but the world was just going by. All these people were oblivious to the fact that my world and my family's world had been turned upside down and would never be the same again. I got angry. I felt infuriated that he didn't matter enough to them Mm. to be affected which is completely irrational
2: in breaking news it's been reported that the former boyfriend of teenager emily longley has been arrested and charged with her murder longley grew up on auckland's north shore and was found dead in a house belonging to elliot turner's family in the south of england in may 20 year old turner has also been charged with perverting the course of justice along with two members of his family
0: Emily's death and the subsequent murder trial were well played out in New Zealand and international media. The Guardian, BBC, Daily Mail, and all the local Kiwi news outlets were running stories extensively.
1: Well, of course, we know that Turner has been charged with murder, but he's also been charged with perverting the course of justice. And in addition to that, Lee Turner, aged 53, and Anissa Turner, aged 50, have also been charged with perverting. The news was the course
0: everywhere. I lived in Fakatane, it was a small town, and lots of people knew what had happened, and yet in day-to-day conversation, sometimes Emily wouldn't even be mentioned. People might ask me how I was, or what I was up to, and I'd be left thinking, do you know what's happened? My doctor, neighbors, people who I knew were aware she was dead, still wouldn't mention her. I understand now why people were afraid to mention Emily's name. It was in case they said the wrong thing or upset me. After someone dies, it's always hard to know what to say.
3: There have been things that have been said to me that haven't helped, mm. that have upset me. I had one person say to me, she wrote me a card and she said all the nice, you know, I'm sorry and, mm. uh, and I'm thinking of you. And then kind of rounded it off with y- you need to be grateful for the time that you had with him. Even though I know that it was the best intentions, I felt like I was being robbed of my right mm. to feel sad and to grieve and that I was meant to feel grateful and, and I didn't feel grateful. I felt ripped off. And I think the other one for me is, is a lot of people have said to me, everything happens for a reason. Look, I think it's just in people's nature to want to say something to cheer you up. Yeah. In those early stages of grief... You don't want to be cheered up. No, that's Because you right. can't be. Yeah. For me personally, the people that just said, I'm so sorry, and I'm thinking of you. Yeah. Or I don't know what to say, mm. but I'm so sorry. That, that was enough. Yeah. And that was lovely. Yeah. You know, because they were
4: acknowledging it. The rotten bit about death and dying is it is clumsy. There's nothing elegant about it. There is nothing romantic about it. There is nothing scripted about it or anything like that. It is just all clumsy because it's new every time.
0: Lise Groot-Alberts is a grief therapist and a public speaker on palliative care. Lise moved to New Zealand from Friesland in the Netherlands with her family in the 1980s, and she developed her professional practice through her own tragic story of personal loss. Lisa's oldest daughter, Nana was almost three when she died, just days after Lisa's son, Aiko, had been born.
4: She had a very acute uh, respiratory illness, which started when my labor started, and then she died two days later. And
0: she was almost
4: three? Almost three. And she died two days after our son was born. So that was that hope and despair, And joy and sorrow. This experience
0: of joy and sorrow coming so closely together left people in Lisa's life confused about how to approach her. She says that in the days and months after, many people simply stayed away. Unable to find the right words, they chose instead to stay quiet.
4: When our daughter died and our son was born, people did stay away and people didn't know what to do and Mm. didn't know what to say. What do you do? Do you bring a a present for the birth and and condolences for death? It was tough.
0: Forty years have passed since Nana died. And Lise says that she has come to understand why some people avoided her and the subject of Nana's death.
4: When our children die, our future dies and it's really threatening. And being a parent and and being in that core of love uh, and being so wounded in that. Mm-hmm. And I think often it is threatening for other parents. And I think part of why some of our peers stayed away who had children a similar age mm-hmm. was because it was too painful. The dusk take courage at times to be with, with somebody else who's in a lot of pain.
5: People heal better in social networks, even if they reject them. And they need choices around whether they accept people into that intimate pain or not. Dr Peter Bray is the programme leader for the counselling programme at the University of Auckland. We know people need to talk about stuff. And so just to sit with a cup of tea, people need that. They just need the silence to reflect, to talk to others who may not judge them, who may not see them as contaminated by their loss. Peter was working as a
0: school counsellor in England when he, his wife Bridget, who was pregnant with their son Freddie and her three children, decided to move to New Zealand in the late 1990s.
5: Yeah, about, about 22 years ago um, I was working in England uh, as a as a school counsellor but also as a teacher and I thought I'd, I'd like to see the world a bit. So I, I looked to new places. Peter took up a role
0: as school counsellor at Mangarei College. The details of Peter's story
5: are difficult to hear. I guess some people might call her quite quite a hippie, quite a, a tall, buoyant woman, dark mm. hair, raven black hair, enthusiastic about pretty much everything, mm. uh, devoted to her children, and fortunately devoted to me as well. We were trying to, trying to get a baby. We did some IVF. We've managed to create a child. And the child was was born in New Zealand um, within a, a, a month of his arrival. And then within about another eight months, uh, he was dead. Bridget and uh, Ben and Freddie and, and Daniel, her other boy, were were involved in a car accident. They were going down to, to pick up a, a schnauzer for us, um, a pet, a puppy. Uh, and we were very excited about it. And they went off in the car, and I I was left with uh, Simeon and Abigail back at base. And they went off on this wet morning and uh, had this accident. They were T-boned on State Highway 1. The kids were eating breakfast, and uh, a couple of hours mid-morning, there was a knock at the door, and uh, two police officers arrived. They were standing in the doorway, and, and... i understood that they were going to tell me something bad, and I made a joke about, oh, you know, in the films, the police always say they have to come inside, and mm-hmm. and the next thing you'll do is ask me to sit down. And they said, we do think you should sit down. They they told me that uh, there'd been an, a road accident and that my, my wife had been killed. And then they said, um, and uh, you're... You, your other son, Ben, has also been killed by now i'm kind of reaching for cover you know and, and not knowing what's going on and knowing that this is an impossible script and thinking it's over now i've got, I've got a child i've still got a child you know uh, Fred going to be okay um, and they said and and your 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 baby child has suffered severe head injuries and um is on his way to Hamilton Hospital. And I'm like, at that point, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I am. Uh, I, everything's focused on this pinprick of a moment. And my feelings are, yeah, that, that I'm part of the universe and I've been sp- sort of <laughs> exploded, but that I'm still having to c- accept this pain that the pain is still there and it's a pain I've never felt before. And it just was multiple and accumulative and it wasn't looking good for Freddie.
0: For those of us on the outside, what is the answer? What is the right thing to say to someone who is recently bereaved? From the people I have interviewed for this series and those I've met in my life, there is no one answer. Some need company, some need space but there is a common thread, say something, don't disappear.
4: Uh, literally saying, I don't know what to say. That's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful sentence, because mm. that's the truth of it. So it's all about speaking the truth of it at the time.
0: Lee Scroot alberts says that simply showing up and acknowledging loss is so important.
4: It was a neighbor of, of a friend of ours who sent a tiny little card. Mm. Uh, and said, we're really sorry to hear about the death of Nana and we congratulate you with the birth of Aiko, your son. Yeah. And and that meant a lot. One of the, the people who really were there were, was my grandmother. Mm. And she just stayed there. She didn't give advice. Mm. She didn't tell me uh, how she did it or what happened to her or anything like mm. that. She was just there. It's one of the hardest things, but also one of the simplest things to mm, do, Yeah, is to stay, to be present. Yeah, And you don't need to fix it, because you can't. That's right. You yeah. don't need to uh, give advice, because you can't, and it's nonsense most of the time, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, however, the courage to stay present. Yeah. And to bear that, which is at times, I think, quite unbearable. Yeah. To sit with with a deep pain, with a deep grief.
0: Hello, good morning. Who's that? Good morning, young lady. I beg your pardon, Emily Kate. Emily had a tougher than usual start to life. She was diagnosed at 18 months with a form of osteoporosis. She would eventually grow out of it, but for her first 10 years, she broke bones really easily. So we had to keep a close eye on her. Clever girl, walk. Oh, Emily, walk steady. Oh, fall down, walk. Coupled with that, she had the spirit of a bull and she charged at everything full on. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Yes, Emily, walk steady. Oh clever girl, clever girl Her osteoporosis didn't slow her down So from a parental point of view The combination was a nightmare (laughs) Dad I can do a
1: long
0: cartwheel Let me see One time on a family holiday to France When Emily was six or seven She was doing her usual thing of trying to ski ahead of me I was telling her to slow down But she wouldn't She soared ahead going too fast And she fell when a child breaks a bone, the screen cuts through everything. Emily's arm had broken her fall and snapped in the process. She was taken by a skidoo to a French hospital, and the next day she was back on the slopes with her arm in a cast.
1: I'm officially the fittest person in the family, and the first, yes.
0: Life with Emily was often a mixture of I told you so anger and thank God she's okay relief. I used to think her spirit was hard to parent. But it would stand her in good stead as an adult. This is Emily's walk home every day. This is how I am. Yeah, she I walks walk. along here really, really slowly. I don't walk down here slowly. She does
5: so slowly.
1: And the lights are so slow here. They are, aren't they? They are,
5: right?
1: Hey.
5: A. Here, what's this, Em? My school. And what's in there?
1: The library.
5: What does she keep in the library?
0: Books. How would you know? What's a book, Em?
1: I think it's one of those things that you wipe your bottom <laughs> in. <laughs>
0: I miss the way Emily used to make me laugh. She was warm and loving, bright and beautiful, determined and strong-willed. Being her father was fun. She was always up for something. She was my little mate as well as my daughter. Spending time with her was something that made me truly happy, and I missed her.
1: The professor's been poignant. Let's go find out who it is. I'm making. potion. We've got you now. Uh,
0: you've got me trapped, Powerpuff Girls.
1: for you, my j j -J. (coughs)
0: Oh, thank you, Powerpuff Girls. Once again, the day is saved. Thanks to the Powerpuff
5: Girls and (coughs) all this crime.
0: One thing I have learned through all this is that we need to be more open about death. We need to acknowledge the dead more. We also need to do better as a society at taking care of the grieving to be present for them, to sit with them, to acknowledge them and their loved ones. This is her sit. Almost. Almost sitting. Come on, show Daddy how you can sit. Emily, darling.
1: Hello. Oh, well,
0: Emily. Okay, darling. That's very clever, Emily. Yeah. That's very clever. There is a saying that grief is the price we pay for love. I don't agree with that. When someone you love dies, the love remains. The grief is just part of that love. Death is painful. It is heinous. But it's a part of life. Death, a podcast about love, grief, and hope, was produced by Maggie Wicks, audio engineering by Asher Bastian, graphics by James Brown and Vinay Ranshot. To learn more, go to newshub.co.nz forward slash
5: podcasts.